and welcome back to I Don't Imagine Anyone's Listening, the podcast where I talk about whatever it is that I want to talk about because I don't imagine that anyone's listening. Um, so funny story. Remember, uh, at the end of last year where I was like, hey, it's Advent and I'm going to do this liturgical year thing where I read a Tolkien book in every liturgical season and then I do a podcast on it every month <laughs> and then I immediately skipped Christmas. Um, and I had all of January to do Christmas because in technically in the liturgical calendar um even even in the the modern calendar you don't necessarily have to be like well it's according to the old calendar anyway if you don't know what i'm talking about this is super boring um christmas goes all the way till february the second so i had all of january to do this and then i didn't because of reasons mainly because i'm incapable of reading one book at a time and um i was reading like four other books at the same time that were like faster easier reads than this one so <laughs> kind of got lazy any hoozles also slightly frustrating because i just recorded 20 minutes of this podcast and then somehow i managed to lose it because i'm amazing anyway so this is take two welcome to take two um it actually might be a lot cleaner than the first time because I had a dry run, <laughs> even though I didn't know it was a dry one. So I skipped out Christmas. So now we're in Ordinary Time. And the book for Ordinary Time that should have been for Christmas is The Children of Hrin. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm definitely not. Um, there was a pronunciation guide at the beginning of this book and uh, I did not follow it. I tried, but then I did that thing you do in fantasy books where you're just like, you come across a name you can't pronounce and you just go and everyone gets their own sort of gobbledygook in your brain. So I think I'm gonna say Hren. I know it's probably Hirin or something like that. Also, the the main character is one of the children of Hirin because that's the name of this book. Um, his name is Tirin. Uh, I'm gonna call him Turin because it's or Turin because it's so much easier. So let me give you a little background as far as I understand it because uh, this is the first non Lord of the Rings slash Hobbit book. So this is the first of Tolkien's books that I have ever read all the way through that was published posthumously or middle earth books anyway i have no idea what he what if any non-middle earth stuff he published in his lifetime anyway so as far as middle earth history this is the first one that i'm reading it's one of the ones that came out i can't remember in the last i don't know 15 years or so it's it's pulled from lots of stuff and it's sort of the, the they synthesized a couple of stories it's in the they sell them as the great tales box set um you can also buy them separately if you feel like buying books which you should always feel like buying books so this one children of Hurin, is about shockingly the children of Hurin. there are three of them i don't remember the names of the third one because she dies very early on and um more of a sort of motivator um than anything else uh she doesn't really play into the plot so there's turin and neonor and another sister who dies before neonor is born and i can't remember her name and i'm sorry and i'm not gonna look it up <laughs> anyway so um the the sort of what this this book was kind of tough to read not just because i i didn't know the characters i didn't know their like significance and sort of the lore and the history and all of that 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 did make it difficult but also because um so most of this book is is turin sort of on his travels and his adventures and every time he sort of and has a important experience or it's uh joins up with a new group of people he changes his name and then they continue to use the name that he changed it to and it's very confusing i i found it very confusing because i was like wait what is he called now <laughs> and are we talking about the same guy still i'm gonna give you the broad strokes of the beginning um as i recall them because i finished this book at 2 a.m last night or very early this morning technically and so the only bit i really remember is the very bit at the end which conveniently is the good bit at the beginning we have we have Hurin and we have his uh, his daughter who dies uh, as a small child and then we have his son 
Turin, um, who's the main character of the story, and his wife Morwen, and they they are they are all humans. There are elves in this story too. This family is human, and uh, so uh, Hiran gets captured by Morgoth, uh, who's who's the big baddie, the big big baddie. Just sort of broad strokes, he is he is the baddest of all of all the baddies. All of the bad things, all the evil things in Middle Earth serve him, including Sauron later on in in the stuff that most people know, myself included. So Morgoth is the big baddie, and um, uh, he captures Hurin in battle or something, because there's lots of orcs that pop up, and then obviously we have to fight them, because that's what you do when orcs pop up. Hurin gets captured by Morgoth, and Morgoth is holding him prisoner for the entire book. It is unclear why... Um, but mainly it's just because, well, it's unclear to me because I don't understand the context of who this Hurin guy is, but the point is Morgoth holds him captive because he wants to screw up his family, and he does that very successfully, I might add, but we'll get to that. Morgoth captures Hurin. Turin is a young man, or he's still a child. He's like 10 years old or something, and he's, he's having a rough go of it, as you would if your dad got captured by a super evil bad guy. And so there's him and his mother and his little sister. And his mother sends him to live with some elves. The the king of these particular elves is called Thingol, which is a name that I know, but I didn't have any context for until now. So that's fun. So he goes off to live with them and he, he you know, he's treated very well there, but he's he obviously he's out of place. And anyway, it's, it's very, you know, it's sort of foreshadowy of Aragorn and living in Rivendell as a child and all that jazz. So, you know, we start to see some patterns in the history and the stories, which is a thing. Um, um, you know, there's, ugh, I don't know. I'm tired. I already did 20 minutes of this and then I screwed it up. So <laughs> this is going to be, well, for me, low energy. Anyway, so he goes off to live with the elves, but he's, he's unhappy there. Uh, and, and he, he decides he needs to go out and look for his father. So he goes and he gets sidetracked almost immediately. He falls in with some vagabonds and, and ne'er-do-wells and he makes them slightly less ne'er-do-wellish. Um, he encounters a dwarf who is petty. This is a petty dwarf, which I really like, and I, I don't know if that means something else in context or if it's just uh, his personality, which it kind of is. Anyway, so he encounters the dwarf and, and smells and, and some vagabonds, and, and there's one elf in particular who's sort of his brother in arms, and, and he dies, as brothers in arms tend to do in these kinds of stories, and, and the adventures continue, and, and blah, 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 and he's, he's gone for, for quite some time. And, and uh, during the course of that, his mother, Morwen, decides, hey, um, I haven't heard about my son for quite some time. Uh, I should go find out what happened to him and so she goes um I can't remember if she takes her daughter with her but eventually the daughter ends up with her and and she goes uh to Thingol to be like hey bro what's up and so then you know she finds out that her son has been has been gone for ages and ages doing doing you know who knows any all that kind of stuff so she's off and uh she decides that you know I'm gonna go look for him. And uh, the the daughter doesn't want her mother, uh, the daughter Neonor doesn't want her mother to go. And so her plan is, uh, I will threaten to go with her. And so then she'll change her mind and come back. This plan immediately backfires because <laughs> Morwen is like, well, uh, if you're not gonna stay behind, I guess you're gonna come. And so she comes. And then there's, they get, you know, some orcs fall upon them and um, people get separated. And and Neonor runs into uh, this dragon called a Glaurug. And so now we're going to take a little sojourn to the dragon. So the dragon is very important. The dragon is, is uh, a servant of Morgoth. I hope I got his name right because the name of um, Turin's sword is kind of similar. It's another G1, but like, oh, here we go. You know, Glaurug's the sword. What's, I mean, the dragon. Oh, what's the name of his sword? I'm going to find the bit where he kills the dragon. 
Gerthang. Gerthang is the name of the sword. Haha. <laughs> okay. Glowrung is the name of the dragon. At an earlier time, Turin discovers that he's got to kill this dragon if he's going to find his father. And so he he tries to kill the dragon. It doesn't work. The dragon puts a spell on him with his dragon eyes because dragons could do that. So he is under this spell. But of course, he doesn't know that because that's how dragon spells work. And he goes back to this uh, sort of village or, or town that he's been protecting and, and leading. And, um, and, in, and in the meanwhile, the sister... Uh, also encounters the dragon. His sister, Neonor, also encounters the dragon. And the dragon puts a spell on her as well. And then she runs off and finds her brother. But as they are both under a dragon spell and using different names, they don't know who each other are. So at this point in time, he is calling, he, Turin, is calling himself Turinbar. And she, Neonor, is calling herself, shirts, where's her name? Niniel. They run into each other and she, uh, at this point in time, is naked because dragon spells are a hell of a drug. And so she comes across him, comes across his, uh, his, his, uh, settlement or whatever, um, completely naked. And he, uh, they take her in and over time, because they don't know who each other are and also they under the spell of a dragon, they fall in love. And then turn to Ravar asks... Neonor Neonel, his sister, to marry him. And she is all for this, even though their friend, Brandir, who may may not be an elf, unclear, I don't remember. That's not really important. He has a feeling, probably because the good gods of this situation are giving him some insight that this is a very bad idea and they should not do this. Um, But he doesn't know why he can't express why because he, he has no idea and so he the only thing he can tell her is wait and just wait and she she doesn't listen because uh, because she doesn't uh dramatic irony dragon spells etc etc so she doesn't listen even though he's like just just put the brakes on for a sec and she's like but i love him anyway so they get married and she gets pregnant and <laughs> and you, the reader, are just like, ha, 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 ew, gross, ew, gross, ew, gross. Um, and um, through the, eventually, for uh, plot reasons, I'm sure there's a real motivation. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, um, Turin Turinbar is like, okay, uh, I have to go fight this dragon again. It's, it's time, time to go fight the dragon again. And so he goes off to fight the dragon again, and he does manage to kill the dragon, or almost kill the dragon. So, like, the dragon is dying. So he plunges his sword all the way up, into the dragon, like buries it in the dragon. Doesn't kill the dragon right away. So as a sort of like screw you to the dragon as he's killing them, he says something. Oh, had the quote. Here we go. He says, "Hail, worm of Morgoth. Thus we meet again. Die now, and the darkness have you." This is Turin, son of Hern, avenged. And so the dragon probably. I think the dragon knew who he was, but now the dragon definitely knows who he is now um and uh he decides to have some fun with this for evil purposes as he's dying or as the dragon is dying uh turin turin bar tries to pull his sword the black sword uh it's very important he is also called the black sword a lot because of his black sword so he pulls the black sword out of the dragon and he gets some dragon blood on him which is bad and so he falls unconscious near looking like he's dead some you know romeo and juliet kind of stuff going on here and so then neonel slash neonor comes across this guy this dead guy who was her husband and also her brother um who was actually not dead sauce um and so she finds him and she attempts to tend to his wounds but she she thinks that he's dead, um, and so she's, you know, very sad, 
And then the dragon is not quite dead. And so the dragon decides that he is going to speak to her. And so he says to her, Hail Neonor, daughter of Hurin, we meet again ere we end. I give you joy that you have found your brother at last. And now you shall know him, a stabber in the dark, treacherous to foes, faithless to friends, and a curse unto his kin, Turin, son of Hurin. But the worst of all his deeds you shall feel in yourself. And she knows exactly what that means. And she's like, oh, shit except dramatic and you know and then the dragon immediately dies and she realizes um what she has done because of course she does because she's not stupid and um she is rightly hit with a wave of horror and regret and she runs to the edge of the river and throws herself in and gets swept away to the sea and dies and then uh <laughs> brandier has witnessed all of this and also knows the truth now and he's like damn it i was right <laughs> Uh, and so he goes back to, to the village settlement town thing and tells everyone, well, he doesn't tell them the whole story because, you know, he's got some tact and, uh, he's like, well, your leader is dead, but the dragon's also dead. So it's, it's not the worst. So then, so then they go to, um, they think collect the body of, of Turin. Uh, but he's not dead. And uh, so he wakes up and he, and uh, Brandir has to tell him what happened, which is <laughs> awkward and unfortunate. And so Turin, again, just as his sister wife was, uh, stricken with guilt and anguish and disgust and horror, etc., etc. And so he runs to, I think, the spot where she threw herself in the river and he kills himself with his black sword. And then the black sword breaks. So, um, yep. Then Brandir... Um, is like, well, this is a real tragedy. And so he buries them. Well, he buries him, but he puts two markers on the grave, even though she's not there. So his Turin's gravestone reads Turin Turambar Dagnir Glaurunga, which probably has something to do about killing a dragon. And then Niorn Niniel is also on the grave, even though she uh, is not actually buried there because her body got swept out to the sea. So it's real tragic. <laughs> but that's not where the story ends. Because as you recall, Turin was being held captive by Morgoth and also his wife and the mother of the children of Harin was looking for her son and uh so we don't know what happened to her after the orcs and so after the deaths of Turin and Eunor, Morgoth released Turin from bondage and in furtherance of his evil purpose. In the course of his wanderings he reached the forest of Brethil where his children are buried and came upon the evening the crossings of Teglin that's the river to the place of the burning of Glaurung and the great stone standing on the brink of Cabadnerlamarth. I'm not 100% sure what that is. Of what befell there is told. So he, it seems, finds out what happened to his children and, and the unfortunate ending to their sad lives. And then he, he sees someone and he realizes it is his wife. And so they are reunited, which is very, very sweet, but also very sad. And, um, she, uh, she, uh, she asks how, uh, her daughter found her son, and, uh, and he <laughs> wisely <laughs> does not answer, and, uh, and then she dies. <laughs> so, <laughs> tragedies all around. Yeah, so, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> I just ruined this book if you haven't read it. It's, it was a tough read, partially because of all the names, and it's very episodic, and it's, uh, and like the real the real meat of it is is the the sort of tragic accidental sibling marriage and that doesn't happen until like the last i don't know 70 pages or so i mean it's not a long book if you exclude all the notes it's only about 260 pages so it's probably even less than that that the very last 
that happens. It's, uh, you start to understand why a lot of this didn't get published in his lifetime. It's not bad. It's just, it's tough to read. <laughs> and it's <laughs> like, yeah, you see why, I mean, also he was very much a perfectionist and, and, you know, so this, these particular stories were like pulled and distilled and, and, you know, if you read the, his son edited it down. So if you read the editor's notes, you understand a lot of what was going on there. But anyway, so that's a thing, that's a thing that happened. But what's cool about these books is that you start to see what he was trying to, what he, Tolkien, obviously, was doing with, um, with these stories. So, because if, uh, you know anything about him, you know that he was a, a linguist and, and he's very interested in, in sort of mythology and history and, uh, but particularly languages. And, uh, so, but he was also trying to create a mythology for England and, like, the native people of England because they don't really have one. Uh, King Arthur is technically a French story. The, obviously, the Norse mythology is, is uh, Norse, <laughs> um, even though there, there is some, sort of some similar traditions. So, you, but you see the influences of all those things, like, the, you know, it sort of has a very, the feel of it is very Norse mythology. Like, that's sort of the images that come to mind as you read it. But the stories with the sort of accidental relative marriage and the, like, important young man keeping his identity a secret and going off and doing many adventures, it has a lot of, it reminds you of of Hercules or Theseus. Well, the accidental relative marriage is more Oedipus, but whatever. You know, there's, the, you can see the influences of, of Greek mythology on there. So you see the influences of all these cultures um, that he grew up in and studied and, and all of that. So, and then you also see how he's using all of those traditions to create something um, that he wishes existed. I'm going to keep reading these. Up next will be right smack in the middle of Lent, so I'll be reading Lord of the Rings because that's what I do in Lent, I decided. Um, I did last year and I'm like, I'm going to do this forever now. Um, So up next will be um, most likely Fellowship of the Ring. We'll see where I am in there. And I'll have a, hopefully a lot more intelligent stuff to say about that because I have read that many times before and also it's a more familiar story. So there'll be less of me trying to muddle through the plot. I'll have some more interesting things to say about stuff and things. If you made it to the end, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed it. I don't know, but whether or not you listened anyway. So, haha. Anyway, um, uh, if you would like to keep listening, you can listen to the back catalog. Uh, you can subscribe to catch me next time. Um, if you have any interest outside of this podcast, my social media and my website are in the description. There is also a link to support the show if you'd like to do that, though. You know, I get it. You're, you want to support quality content, and I don't think we're there yet. So, but if you would like to, not going to say no, obviously. I don't think I can reject money from people. I wouldn't know how to reject money from people. I mean, in that in this context. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about money because it's getting a little bit gross. Thank you for listening and I will catch you uh, next time. Goodbye.